why don't you grab your seats? We're going to continue with our worship later. But part of what we wanted to do this morning is to share testimony of what God's doing in our lives. And one of our partner organizations, which Lawrence knows really well, is Patel. So I'd love to invite Wayne. And why don't you give a big destiny round of applause as Wayne comes up and shares a bit of his story this morning. We come this side, Wayne. It's such a privilege to be here at Destiny. Wayne, why don't you introduce, for those who don't know, what is Patel? And tell us why we partner together. So Patel is a, a Christian organization. And, and what we do is we, we take in drug addicts, alcoholics, uh, men and women that have been marginalized by society. And we, we help them to refocus on life. We help them not only to get clean, but we help them to refocus, to rebuild, and we're all about reconciliation, to reconcile with families, but ultimately to come to know Jesus and to come to know his love and his faith and his mercy and his grace and his glory in our lives. And Battelle started in 1985 with one drug addict in uh, a missionary family's home in San Blas in Madrid. And from there is just... God has just blown it up. I mean, we're in a uh, hundred cities in 24 countries. Uh, each, 98% of the centers are actually pastored and directed by men and women that have come through the program. And uh, it's a great place. It's a great place. We're right at this moment, just pioneering a work in Virginia Beach. So we've got Brenda and Dave, who are, Brenda's from Ohio. Uh, Dave's from a place in uh, Nottingham called Beeston and yeah how God puts people together they've got three wonderful kids and they're pioneering a work in uh, Virginia Beach and at the merchandise table out there there's like a, a QR code you can click on that and you can find out a little bit more about them and what we're doing and how we're doing it so Wayne you're currently leading in Patel but your life hasn't always been in leadership tell us a bit about your life before you came into Patel oh it was all fun and games uh, <laughs> so my, it's a term I mean we used it the term loosely in England I mean when I was growing up my dad was kind of a gangster so he was heavily involved in uh, arm robberies uh, cutting safes open uh, security, he, he ran all the bouncers in our city, in Leeds, where I come from, on the doors in all the clubs. And so I was born into a world that for me was pretty normal, but for most people would be really weird, you know. Uh, I was taught to never talk to the police, never open the door to the police. And it was quite a, a wild upbringing, really, like the Wild West, you know. Uh, I started smoking marijuana when I was about 11, and from there, just kind of, there was no control, really. I mean, my mum and dad, as long as we were safe, they were okay. So I was smoking weed. I was taking uh, amphetamine and doing my thing in school. And then one day, yeah, I got into trouble in school. I hit this guy with summer, and things kind of went downhill from there. I ended up spending a year in uh, a prison for grown-ups when I was 14. Uh, while I was under investigation. And when I came out, I just, I got involved in football hooliganism. I don't you know what football hooliganism is? Where football teams fight, the, the fans fight against each other. 
like two tribes going to war. But I got involved in that. It was, it was quite mad. And in that, around 1985, crack cocaine hit England and I just went berserk. I mean, I was smoking so much crack. I lost all contact with who I actually was. Uh, I was shooting up heroin. And one day the police came to my mum and dad's and my mum woke me up like shaking my foot in the bed. And she just said, wake up son, don't move. And I opened my eyes and the police were there with guns trained on me. And I got nine years in prison. And uh, it, was, it was a tough time, you know? I mean, anybody that says prison's easy, the lines here, even in England, prison's tough, man. Uh, but I carried on being a drug addict all the way through my prison sentence. I did seven and a half years out of the nine. And uh, I remember sitting on the window ledge of the cell on the, the, day of my, the day before I was getting released. And I remember sitting on the window ledge and thinking to myself, why am I actually getting released? Why do I want to go out there? I can't read, I can't write. No one in their right mind is ever going to give me the time of day. I'm going to go right back to what I know, you know? But they have to release you. And when they did, I just carried on doing the same thing. And then one day, I was driving a car and uh, I pulled up, well, I didn't pull up, I was trying to shoot up a snowball, heroin and cocaine. And uh, I just, I, I was in a one-way street, the car swerved, I fell out, and there was a pastor stood in the doorway. And he was talking to this guy, and they came running over, picked me up, and they took me into this church office. And they began praying over me, and I woke up a little bit freaked out. You know, two dudes praying over me, I've got no idea who you are. Uh, but they began telling me about this place called Battelle. And, and the next day I went there, and let me tell you, I arrived on a Friday night, and it was a little like this. And I'm coming down off heroin and cocaine, and I walked into the room, and I thought, you guys have more problems than I do. <laughs> this is just weird. But there was these guys there, and they just took care of me and looked after me, and they, they continuously told me about this guy Jesus and I remember one night I was in the living room alone and I was lying on the floor and I'd not slept for over two weeks and I opened this Bible uh, to Psalm 1 and I was lying there and I just said you know what God I'm throwing out a challenge if you're real if you're real if you're who these people say you are then give me some rest and if you give me some rest then I'm going to believe. And uh, that night I slept for seven hours. And yeah, things have never been the same since. <laughs> what a testimony, what a story. <laughs> Wayne, tell us now, look at this. <laughs> tell us now, Wayne, what are you living for? You've been through that. What are you living for now? Well, now, I mean, I came through the program, so now I'm one of, the, one of the pastors on staff there, me and my wife. I ended up, you know what, God is so good, gave me a beautiful Portuguese wife who I've been married to for 21 years, and we helped pastor the church there. And now, we live for the men and women that are there. So my, my, my life is 
seeing people come to Christ. My aim is to see people come to Christ. And that's, that's what I live for every day, is to see people find that, that glory of God, see it fall on their lives, and their lives can be changed forever and can be completely different people. And, I, you know, praise the Lord, I see that on a daily basis. And until God tells me to move anywhere else, that's where I am. And that's what I'll do. And that's what I'll continue to do because of what he did for me. <laughs> now, Destiny, was that worth getting up this morning to hear that testimony? We thank you, God, for Wayne. You're awesome. And we're going to be sharing some testimonies this morning. So I'd love to welcome Dave Bell, who a lot of you will know, but he's going to continue with his testimony. Hey, everybody. How are we doing? Isn't Wayne incredible? Um, I have to share a room with Wayne, so please pray for me. I feel very nervous, but also safe at the same time. So, um, I just want to go on record to say we're going to sing a song in a second, but I would love to honour um, your senior pastors here today. And, and, and when the British get up and do that, we're not, we're not very good at it. So when it happens, it's genuine and it's real. And... This couple, I don't know if you actually realize as a church how blessed you are to have such an incredible couple that not only model how to lead a great church, but model how to be husband and wife, model how to be mum and dad. And I love the fact that when Lawrence passed through my life, 2002, he wasn't just a passing through ministry, he, he stayed and he became a, a great friend to my family and anybody that honors my parents gets my attention. And I just want to, can we give a huge round of applause for the incredible, yeah, come on. very thankful for them in my life. So thank you so much. Um, I love to write songs and um, we all know we've been through a difficult time, haven't we, in the last two or three years across the world. Um, the global pandemic, financial crisis. Uh, in the UK, we're experiencing a little bit of political unrest. Uh, and I'm sure you guys may have experienced a little bit of that, maybe. And uh, we got on the plane with the Prime Minister and we got off and there isn't one anymore, so we don't know what's happening. And um, I was thinking about everything that everybody's been through and um, it was during the pandemic season and we, we weren't really allowed to, allowed to go out and I, I jumped on a video call with a good friend, a guy called Chris Eaton, who's a songwriter. Uh, he wrote this incredible song a number of years ago that Amy Grant sung called Breath of Heaven uh, that you may have heard of. And we got on a video call and I said, I feel like I've, I've got a, almost like a hymn, like a song that I, I would like to sing out of this season. And um, I love the, the Jewish kind of tradition of the story that is, that is passed down each year about Passover. And, you know, the story of painting the blood above the door and the spirit passed over. And I said, do you think we could get that into a song? And he said, no, that's a, that's a terrible idea. So I said, I, I think it's a good idea. And uh, so we wrote this song, Passover, together. And I feel that one of my giftings necessarily isn't necessarily in the prophetic. I don't feel that's one of my stronger things. But uh, I started to write out these verses. 
And I then started to see all of these world events unfold. And these verses were just talking about everything I was seeing. And so the Bible says, I think it, Paul, it says to never neglect meeting, singing psalms, hymns. And also he says spiritual songs. So this may come under the category of spiritual song today. But I would love for you just to sit and receive. The words will be on the screen. Uh, and I really pray this song, Passover, really helps you as we come through this challenging time and we set our face on what God has before us. Thank you so much. Remembering the spotless lamb, I will not be bound by threats of man. I will paint the blood above my door. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. When evil prowls our city streets, I will fight this fight on bended knee. I will sing the song of saints before. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. The plague that seeks to take my breath cannot destroy my confidence. Beneath his wings, I am secure. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. As for me and my we serve the Lord under the blood. The curse is broken when darkness comes. It'll pass over me. And now I leave with hope eternal. The Lamb of God has claimed the victory. Now I command the storm to cease By the power Christ has given me yeah. I will paint the blood above my door As for me and my house we serve the Lord As for me and my house we serve the Lord Under the blood When darkness comes, it'll pass over me. And now I live with hope eternal. Lamb of God has claimed the victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Remembering the spotless lamb, 
I will not be bound by threats of men. I will paint As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve. I will serve you, Lord. Wow, thank you. Um, if I get a little emotional this, this morning, we'll just blame it on jet lag. Is that okay? Jet lag. Well, um, just before Dan Hargreaves, who's one of the pastors in our church, comes up and speaks today, I would love to just bring you a little update as to my life and my journey. And the reason why we do this and the reason why we brought Wayne half away halfway across the world uh, to share his story is just to infuse a little bit of hope this morning, a little bit of faith to rise. Um, I know everything we've been through has tried to dampen a lot of that, but God is on the move. He is alive and well. And I want hope and faith to rise this morning so that we can believe the big stuff. We believe what the Bible says. I had the blessed and privileged position. I was born into a Christian household and my parents are senior pastors of a well-known church in the UK and some of you have heard my story in here this morning so I'm going to do a little shortened version of that. I was living life at speed at the age of 16. I thought like most 16 year old boys I was invincible. I went to church every Sunday without fail. My parents were senior pastors of a large church and I posed a question to life. I thought you know I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't take drugs. What bad could possibly happen to me? But many of us in this room will know that illness, struggle, setback, financial crisis, marital breakdowns, they never ask for a polite invitation into your life. And even though I made a decision in a car park of a restaurant at about seven years old where I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, it didn't make me exempt from worldly things. It says in the Bible that there's two paths to choose. There's the wide open path, which is nice and easy, but ultimately doesn't lead anywhere. But the path we choose is the narrow, winding path, the adventurous path, which leads to life. And at 16 years old, our lives were turned upside down and I had a devastating cancer diagnosis over my life. I was given a very bleak prognosis. I went to an oncology ward. I saw little children from the ages of five and six pulling feeding tubes behind them. They had no hair. And I had to be acquainted with the fact that this world of Ward 27 was my new home. I had a Hickman line fitted into the top of my heart. They made a hole in my chest that hung out of that. I had months and months of intense chemotherapy. I'd lay in a bed for three or four days. Had 25 sessions of intense radiotherapy. I was clamped to a table, unable to move while high dose radiation was fired in 25 days in a row. The darkest day of my life was having radiotherapy in the morning, driving to the hospital, laying in a hospital bed for four days, being violently sick, hearing the cries of a young girl who had just had her legs amputated from this horrendous disease, then hearing the news that the little boy that I'd become great friends with on the ward that I taught to play guitar a few days before Christmas Day, 
never woke up again. And I cried out to God. I took some time out privately and I went to the hospital window and I looked out over the city that was filled with color and light and I saw a pale cancer patient reflection staring back at me. And I cried out to God and I said, Lord, we live in a world of mystery and seemingly unanswered questions. But I do know we live in a world of miracles. And I said, if you somehow hear the cry of a 16-year-old boy, if you allow me the chance to live, I'll spend the rest of my life telling every person what you've done for me. And I'll never stop singing. Now in life, we're given what's known as the facts. The facts are what we see in the natural, but... Having a relationship with Jesus, I have access to something higher than those facts, and that's the truth. The facts are the natural, the truth is the supernatural. You can, you can do a few amens at this point if you'd like to. The facts said I was diagnosed with a life-threatening illness that attempted to silence, and my family were prepared that I may lose my battle at 16, but there's something higher than the facts. That is the truth, and the truth is Jesus Christ hung on a cross 2,000 years ago so I could access something higher. The facts said I'd have damage to the right-hand side of my face. I'd never look the same again, but there's something higher than those facts. That's the truth, and the truth is when God designed my body, he designed it to look the way he intended it to look. The facts said I'd have damage to my pituitary gland. I'd need growth hormone tablets every day of my life. I'm not as big as Wayne, but you know, I started to grow. The facts said I would never be able to cry out of my right eye, but you know this morning I can cry like everybody else in here. The facts were endless. And what I had to learn very quickly is, in life, you know, we've got to face facts. We can't go and bury our head in the sand. We face facts, but what we do is we embrace truth. I started to think about my future, and I thought, you know, would I ever be able to drive? Would I get married? Would I go to university? They seemed like distant dreams that could never become a reality, and they were facts. But do you know, the facts always have to be submissive to the truth. And so at the 4th of August, 2007, I stood at the front of a church waiting for the most beautiful, amazing bride to walk in. And that day was my wedding day. I've uh, joined the Pastor Lawrence Neeson Club and we are punching above our weight. And uh, we would refer to my wife as one hot unit. So if you want to... If you want to take that translation, you can use that at any, any point you would like to. I said to Sarah, as a, a young couple wanting to get married, I said, Sarah, if you choose to marry me, I believe that is a, a great decision on your part. But there are some facts that we need to talk about. We have to go into this facing some facts. And the doctors have said, I won't be able to have children naturally because of the intense chemotherapy that's been through my body at such a young age. That was one of the hardest conversations I've <clears throat> ever had with the most beautiful girl on the planet who, as a profession, is a midwife. And she delivers babies for a profession and sees new life being born every single day. And I said, Sarah, we've got to simplify this and I don't understand it. But to see a miracle... We just give God the impossible. And this was our impossible. And I believe that when God enters a situation, he wouldn't leave it half finished. And so 
When I used to go into the hospital, I would wear a particular T-shirt. There was nothing too special about it. I got it at a Christian conference, and it said my name on the back of it. So this was the T-shirt that came on the journey. So when I got into the hospital bed, and I'd lay there for three or four days, I wore the T-shirt. When I came home, the T-shirt would go in the drawer, and then the prayer teams would pray over the T-shirt, and then I'd put the T-shirt back on. And when I got married, the t-shirt came into our married home and it stayed in a drawer to be reminded of God's goodness. But there was one day where my world once again changed forever. And the t-shirt came out of the drawer again and it went in a bag and we went to a hospital. That's what I'm really familiar with doing. And the the bag was put onto the hospital bed and the t-shirt was taken out. But this day was unlike any other day. It was a day of miracles. It was a day of breakthrough. And my wife put the t-shirt on. And she got into a hospital bed. And many hours later, she gave birth to our first miracle baby. (laughs) Come on. And that's Jackson and... One translation of the name Jackson means God has been gracious and shown favor. The other translation simply means the son of Jack. So I had to ignore that because my name is Dave. And the Bible says that God will always do exceedingly above and beyond what we could ever think, dream, or imagine. And a Nigerian intercessor, intercessor prayed over me that I would have double for my trouble. And against all of the facts against all of the odds, against what the medical profession said wasn't possible. We serve a God of the possible. So I want you to meet the full crew today. There. We face facts, but we embrace truth. To bring you right up to date with the story, and we're just warming up for Pastor Dan Hargreaves, who uh, you're going to enjoy. He's, uh, he's a little wild, let's put it that way. Um, I'm 36 now, married the woman of my dreams, and have four miracle children. But I wanted to bring you up to speed with another little story, which I think is going to be really helpful to you this morning. Um, my parents started an event 40 years ago called, it was called Grapevine. And we used to meet on a, it was called a big showground and it was a family Bible weekend. People would come and camp out and it became one of the most famous events of its kind. And uh, it reached about 13 and a half thousand people gathered. And it came to its 40th year celebration and it was my turn. I got the call to lead the worship and I'd dreamed about doing that as a young boy. I would sit up, I would like be on the floor and I would look up at the stage and think, oh man, I would love to be able to do that one day. And it was my turn to lead the worship. But two months before the event, I noticed I, I had a lump on the back of my neck. And so my first initial thoughts were thoughts of faith I really believed that this was nothing connected with my past, but I felt like the devil was shouting in my ear, just saying, I'm going to catch you out, Dave. And it's a totally different situation when you're like a grown adult and you have children 
and you're married to the most beautiful girl ever. So I, I dialed down what I believed that the devil was shouting at me and I felt like Jesus said, Dave, do you still have the faith you did as a 16-year-old boy? So I said, um, yes, Father, I, I believe I do. I probably used some of my parents' faith, but I, I, I know you're my healer. And I went for a biopsy the week before the event, and I didn't get any results. And I led worship in front of 3,000 people with this on the back of my mind, but still proclaiming that God was bigger than the air I breathe. And that song, this world will leave and God will save the day and all will say my glorious. I went back to the hospital, I got the results. And uh, this wasn't a, a sinister problem, but there was a mass in my neck that needed removing quickly. And the operation was very intense. It was gonna be six hours and it comes with a big significant risk of facial paralysis. I cried out to God, I was like, I was like I've, I've, I've done my time when it comes to hospitals and medical things. And throughout a, a, an incredible miracle, um, some, some friends of ours brought me over to Dallas and I had an operation by a specialist. And I met with the surgeon and I said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a believer, I've, I've been through so much in my life already. Before we do the operation, I'm gonna pray for you. And so the medical team gathered around and they, I laid hands on the surgeon when I'm in my hospital gown and you have to remember that those backs, they open up, don't they? So I was shuffling around. And I, I prayed for him. I laid hands on him and I said, Father, I just pray that you would guide this surgeon's hands. And I even said, I pray that he'll come to know you. I was like, I was bold. And I went to sleep and had a six-hour operation. And uh, you, you can see a little bit of uh, what they did to me. And uh, I just want to say that God is still in the business of healing. And every side effect that they said with facial paralysis has totally not happened. And uh, I, I, you know, I just want to be a little bit bolder this morning because I got on a Facebook Live the day before my operation and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage people and prompt people to do some things in their life and they can't get mad at me because I'm about to have a serious operation. And so I said, you know, as a result of the pandemic, if you've stopped going to church, you're just kind of comfortable and you, you, you don't feel the need to gather again, I encourage you to readdress that. And on this Sunday, I want you to get yourself back in church. I said, if you've uh, got a loved one that you, um, are, you know, you're out of sorts with, or you've got a broken relationship, today you need to fix it. Maybe you need to offer some forgiveness and maybe you need to be forgiven as well. And I, I just started to do all of these things. And I, I, was, I said to Sarah, we've got to use this for God's good. We just have to. And so I got all of these messages coming in from church pastors saying, hey, this family showed up at church Sunday. They haven't been there in two years. I, I, this lady messaged me and said, I fell out with my mum on Christmas Day and we've not spoken since. I drove five hours to go and repair the relationship. And I was like, this is what it's all about. And as I was asking for prayer, there was this one line that kept on coming up, which is so simple. I'm a quite a simple person. And it says in the Bible to approach with a childlike faith. And all different denominations, different backgrounds, different demographics were all commenting on my post and they just said these three simple words, God's got this. And I, I just think that 
this morning, whatever you're facing, let's not make it too complicated. And just with a childlike faith, God's got this. I'm completely healed and completely well. And I wrote a song about this. And we would love to sing this song before we invite Dan up. And uh, I was in the hospital when I wrote the lyrics to the song. And uh, I started to think about all of these different things that were going on through my mind. And a Nigerian intercessor, she came up to me and she said, you know, Dave, you've fought Goliath. But some Bible teachers, even though it may be symbolism, believe that, you know, those five stones that David had, one was for Goliath and maybe four were for his brothers. Because some theologians say that David may have had to have fought Goliath's brothers as well. That was a, uh, the Goliath was a significant battle, but the others were battles in their own right. So I thought, right, I'm going to get that into a song as well. And so I would love for you as again to listen to this song. The chorus is actually pretty simple to sing. And uh, I really hope whatever you're facing and we get a chance to pray together later after Dan's been up, just this simple phrase that can ring out in your household today. Whatever you're going through, God's got this. promise that I believe 
it will uphold me whatever comes cause the truth is Here we go. Falling at your feet again Now I say yes I'm choosing to believe again Now I say yes I'm falling at your feet again Cause the truth is yeah God's got this yeah So God Yes, I know, I know that God's got this, yeah, because you are faithful, because my God is always faithful. If you know God is faithful, would you just begin to applaud and shout and he's been faithful in your life? Just think back to that time he's been faithful. He's always faithful. My God is always faithful. As we stay in this atmosphere, I would love it right now if you would welcome Dan to the stage. And um, I would love to meet with you after I've got a couple of things. I've, I've wrote a book on my story. And uh, I would love to give these out. Who, who would like a free one? Man in the red. I, I, I may avoid throwing it to you if that's okay. Well, we'll do that. Who wants another one? Lady in blue. Turquoise. I'll, um, yeah. Sorry. Oh, thank you. And there's a couple of CDs. Uh, I, can't, I can't hear anything over there. Great, thank you so much. Here he is. Let's give it up for Dave one more time. What a powerful testimony. Well, I'm just going to bring a very short message and we'd love uh, to pray for you. But as already been said, thank you so much for hosting us here today. What an incredible time. I feel like coming to America has been absolutely fantastic for me. You guys are so enthusiastic and positive. It is such a breath of fresh air. In England, you ask someone if they're okay and they're like, yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. You ask an American if they're okay and they're like, I'm awesome, man. And I like that. I feel like I can relate to you guys uh, really, really well. And sometimes my enthusiasm and positivity gets me in trouble sometimes. And when I'm at home, often I get a look from the wife, just say, Dan, calm down. Is there any other guys that get that look from their wife? You know what I'm talking about. And it's an intense look that just realigns me with where I'm going. And I love this verse out of Matthew 19, 26. says this, Jesus looked at them intently and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I would love you to get your notebooks out, get your phones out. I'm going to drop a few bits of gold into your life today in this short message. And then we are going to pray. 
You see, I believe in this season, coming off the back of COVID, one thing that the church needs is a steely, intent gaze and voice from heaven. You see, I believe that we need a season of love in our gaze, compassion, action, and the supernatural. Who believes we need a season of miracles to show God's goodness of all that he's going to do? You see, when miracles happened in Jesus' life, it was often when he was on the move. It was when he was in the motion. You see, the lady at the well, the feeding of the 5,000, the calm in the sea. Well, to be honest, when Jesus did miracles, it was often when he was either at a dinner party, up a mountain, or out on a boat. You see, Jesus was often in the motion. And I've called this little talk this morning, Miracle in the Motion. What does motion mean? It says this, the action or process of moving or being moved. You see, I believe that Jesus is in the business of miracles. We've heard it this morning. But I believe that there's got to be an act from us, a motion from us to unlock that miracle in our life. If you're like me from uh, uh, England, you, you, if you've ever visited England, you might know the world's busiest train station. It's called Clapham Junction in London. And it is an amazing train station with loads and loads of platforms on it. And there's stuff happening all the time. And if you ever wait on this platform, you will see trains coming in all the time. And people waiting on the platform, there's a whole amount of trains everywhere. I believe that miracles can sometimes be like that. We're waiting on the platform. We're seeing them all around us. But sometimes we need to get on that train. We need to get into the motion of seeing the miracles happen. I love the fact that there's so many great miracles happening. The Iranian church, something is happening in Iran that is just unbelievable. The Patel miracles we've seen this morning. Salvations are happening weekly. And buildings are being bought for the glory of God all over the place. Miracles are happening all around. And number one point today is we've got to have a perspective. Write this down. A perspective of what God is doing. You see, I believe that church gatherings are so important that we come on a Sunday morning. But you know they're only the halftime team talk to go and motivate us to go out and see the action that God is actually doing. Colossians 3, verse 1 to 3 out of the message says this. Pursue the things over which Christ pursues. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground. Absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up, it's like a steely gaze, and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Church, I want to give us an idea of how big God is. He's in the business of miracles. I hope as a church we've got a perspective that God is on the move, that he's all-powerful, that miracles are happening all the time. I want to ask you a question. Where are you seeing God move? I've been surprised about people's reaction and the lack of perspective coming out of this COVID season. I thank God that you're here this morning, that you've got a big perspective. But I believe that we need to know how big God is and how powerful the name of Jesus is. I love that verse in Colossians where it says, look at what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. We found that coming off COVID, like a lot of nations, there were so many people struggling with mental health and well-being challenges. We were seeing so many people. And so we set up in our local church a very simple project called a Night Light Cafe. And all we did was we opened up our coffee shop one night a week. And we encourage anyone who's got some mental health challenges to come alongside. To come alongside us and to share their troubles and their problems. 
with a national health service in England. Thank God for that. I know you don't have it here. They came to us and they said, we like what you are doing. One of our challenges over this COVID season is that the ambulance service are having come in to take all these people who have got mental health challenges up to the hospital and it's wasting so much of our time. So the National Health Service came to us as a church and they said, we want to pay the church to put on nightlight cafes every day of the week in your city of Lincoln. Look at where the action is. That's where Christ is. To this day, we open up 14 cafes in Lincoln where every night of the week, people who are struggling with mental health can access Jesus, can access a good conversation. Let's get a perspective of what God is doing right now. I think secondly, to see um, these miracles in motion, we've got to have a big desire, people. People of the kingdom of God, we've got to have a desire to get on and jump on that train. I don't believe that it's a time to force it. I think the drive is good, but partnership is where it's at. The Great Commission announced, we all know, uh, Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Therefore go is a desire. It's to say, it's not an option, it's a command. I believe that the church needs more of a desire in this season. I believe that the charge in Matthew 10, Jesus was quite simple, go to the last. Keep it simple. Don't be imitate, uh, intimidated. I believe that the church, we need a desire and a lack of intimidation to see God's kingdom come in. Can we have an amen in the house for that? I believe that we need to be a radical disciple practicing. No more social commentating. Look at what they're doing over there. But let's get on an action and have a desire to see God's kingdom come in. And lastly, as we are... Get ready to pray for people. I believe that we need a greater sense of trust if we want to see miracles happen in motion. At this time, next week, we actually find out the location that I run. We are actually finding out whether we're going to get a miracle building. We've been holding out for a few years now on getting a building, something very similar to this. We've been meeting in a school. We planted out a few years ago. And by God's grace, we've grown rapidly. So we put, in for, um, we put in a price and it got accepted on this big warehouse in Lincoln. But part of in Lincoln, we have a lot of challenges about getting something called a change of use, which main, means that you have to go to the council to get a rubber stamp to say that you can use it as a church and it's quite a challenge in Lincoln. So one night we got an email back saying that it's not going good, you're not going to get this change of use, there's lots of challenges. So I got my intercessory team, got the prayer team out and we charged down to this building and we're praying, we're laying hands on it, we're saying, God, we're after the miracle, you're going to provide us this building. We are having our miracle building. And as we were leaving our intercession team, we looked at this building and we said, we claim it in the name of Jesus. And this big lorry blocked the car park so we couldn't come out. And I was getting really agitated and irritated by this lorry that was over the car park. And I looked on the side of the lorry and it said the big words, trust, right on the side of it. I want to say to us, if we want to see miracles, we need to, a greater sense of trust in our lives. Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Matthew 16 verse 21 says this, Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I will show you how. You're not in the driver's seat. I want to encourage us to have a greater sense of trust as we expect miracles to happen. 
as I was praying for you guys, um, I, I got a, a massive sense of God wanting to do some great things. And uh, the picture that I got for you guys was quite simple. It was of this sponge. And we're, when we came out to America, um, I really felt that everybody who comes and experienced Dave's story, Wayne's testimony, and the worship, that it was like a sponge was going getting dipped in a massive pool in front of us. And the picture that I got for you guys was quite simply that as the sponge was going out, you were leaving this building to where the action is, to your daily life, to whatever, whatever arena that God has placed you in. I felt this sponge was just dripping everywhere with the Holy Spirit. And I was seeing drips and it was so exciting and it was so, it was so natural to you. You see, I believe that this is the day of the everyday miracles Romans 12 says it, doesn't it? Take your everyday, ordinary life and place it before God. This is miracle territory, but it might not just be in this building. It might be out in the action. We're in the streets, in your neighborhoods. God's taking you out there. And I want to encourage you guys that this time, there is some serious shaking going on. There's some serious challenges that are going on. There's the war in Europe, the challenges in Pakistan, the floods, the hurricanes that you've had here, cost of living crisis. There is a real squeeze in life at the moment. But I want to say the beautiful thing is that when God squeezes things and when God shakes things up, it's like the sponge is shaken and then the whole Holy Spirit can come out. I want to say to you quite simply that this is an exciting time to be alive. If you're feeling shaken, if you're feeling the pressure, that is where God can use you to see the miracle that he wants to do. We got a word in the UK very recently, and it talks about someone got a word, and they said, we feel that we're in a transfer zone from May to November, the months that we're in. And we looked at the transfer zone, and we thought it was something to do with football, something to do with soccer. But as we looked at it, it talked about the tectonic plates that were shifting. And what happens is when the shift when this pressure comes, when the tension and stress builds, the energy exchange and it moves the whole landscape. I believe that the church's landscape is moving in this time. I think there's something happening. The miracles are happening out there. There's a squeezing, there's a shaking. We're in the transfer zone. But business is never going to be like what it always used to be. The miracles are out in the workplace. They're out in the streets. Let God squeeze you to see the Holy Spirit come. How do we respond to that? Well, we don't panic with the pressure that's coming. We don't choose fear, but we lean into faith over fear. See, Hebrews 12, 25 to 29 says this. Creation shakes to reveal the unshakable kingdom. There's a shaking going on in our nations, but it's to reveal the unshakable kingdom. It which is Jesus Christ. Are you feeling stirred up? I love the band to come and join me as we start and open up to be um, able to pray for you. You see, using that train analogy to see the miracle, you've got to get in the motion. You've got to jump on that train. And the things we're chain, the things we're train is they often are taking us home. You see, miracles are heaven on earth. Your home is in heaven. The train is taking you something. Are you going to jump on? Are you going to jump on? Are you going to see the miracle in your life? Are we going to see the miracles go from this place in our everyday, ordinary life? Are we trusting God to see him move? So I want to pray for four simple things. And I'd love you to do this as we respond, as a band play in the background. Number one, do you need a perspective in this season? As you look for your miracles, 
Do you need a perspective, a fresh perspective of what God is doing? Number two, do you need to pray for a desire? Can you say that maybe my fire's gone out? If I'm being really honest, I've come through a challenging season. A season. Have I still got that desire to follow Jesus? Have I still got that desire to see the miracles happen? Have I still got that desire to step on that train, to step out on that water? Or maybe you're in a season where you just need to trust God wholeheartedly. You need to trust Him with what you're doing. I remember to finish off with my final story. When I got told I was in a meeting not too dissimilar from this, and a guy comes up to me and says, Dan, you're going to be a great dad. And when I met my wife, Jo, we had some challenges um, having a baby. We had to go through an IVF program. And I remember going through the IVF program, and it was hard. And there was a couple of IVF that failed. Yet I held on to God that I was going to be a good dad. And I remember, uh, I remember this time where Jo, we thought she was pregnant, and then she had a big big bleed and it was really challenging and my mates came alongside me and they grabbed me and they said no Dan we're going to stand in faith we're going to believe for a child a miracle child for you and the next day the vicar of Baghdad was visiting our church Canon Andrew White and he came to us and he presented me with a bible and he just said do you know what that is Dan I said yeah I'm a pastor it's a bible and he says open it and I opened this bible and he said that's Smith Wigglesworth's bible Some of you might know Smith Wigglesworth was a crazy man of faith that used to see many miracles and evangelists in the UK. He says, Dan, open it. And I opened this Bible and all I could say was a heartbeat went boom, boom, boom out of the Bible. I felt a physical heartbeat. I looked around the room and I'm like, did anyone else see that? I held it in my heart. The next day, we had a doctor's appointment. And as I scanned my wife's tummy, they said, you've got a healthy, holy heartbeat in there. God is in the business of miracles. We named our child Smith after Smith Wigglesworth. I hope he's going to go around and see some crazy healings. But God is in the business of healing. So right where you are, if you need a fresh perspective, if you need a new desire to follow Jesus, or if you need a deeper trust element, right where you are, I'd invite you to stand up right where you are and take one of them three elements. Maybe as I've been speaking, something's been stirring up in your heart. And then Dave's going to pray for the sick over here. Do you need a fresh perspective? Do you need a deep desire to go for it in God? A passion, a zeal? Or do you need that trust element? Father God, I thank you for every life. God, we pray for the miracles in the motion. We pray release in miracles in this house right now. You see every heart, you see every response. I pray for a fresh perspective in people in destiny today. I pray for a deeper sense of trust in you. And I pray, Father God, for that desire to see your kingdom come out in the everyday, ordinary life. So I pray an anointing right now in this room. God, come and do what only you can do.